Well, Father, we come before you today to praise you, to thank you, and to give you glory and to give you honor. And we need to be changed in order to really do what we ought to do and to do it well. And I pray that you would open up our eyes to our many blessings, to the greatness of our God that we sang about just a few moments ago. And as we think about all of the things that are going on in the world and the things that are going on in our own lives and the things that are going on in the lives of people that we love and the enormous task of taking the gospel to every creature on earth and uh, planting seeds and watering seeds and seeing a harvest, it's all beyond us. So we come because of your greatness to ask you to intervene. We ask you to take people that are sick and heal them. We ask you to take people that are grieving and comfort them and strengthen them. We ask you, Lord, to help people with insurmountable marital problems and family problems, maybe with rebellious children. And they just throw up their hands in exasperation and say, what else can I do? And I pray that you would assure them today that they can't, but you certainly can. And we pray that you would. And we pray, Father, that people would be ministered to. We pray, pray that people would find joy in the Lord. We pray that the lost would be saved. And we pray that saved people would be built up in the faith and encouraged. And we pray above all that God would be glorified. And Lord, as we not only pray for ourselves and pray for people, we pray for the nation of Israel this morning. And we pray, Lord, that captives would be set free. We pray that the grieving would be comforted. And we pray, Lord, that this war would come to an end very quickly. And we pray for the protection and preservation of your people, Israel, and the land that you gave them by covenant with Abraham. Bless them today. And bless all the other nations of the world as they deal with Israel and our own nation as well. May we not turn our backs on them or back away from them, but support them and have your blessing because you told Abraham, I will bless those that bless you and curse those that curse you. And so we, we bless that land and the people that you put there and we pray for them to come to know Christ, their Messiah, as Lord and Savior. And we do all of this because we are confident in you, in your grace, your mercy, your love, your concern, and your power to do something about it. So have thine own way, Lord, and do it for the glory of your name. And give us peace as we go through these troubled times. And this we pray in the strong name of the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen. John chapter 2 is where we are today. I hope you'll take your Bible and open up and follow along. Uh, we try to give you some things on the uh, PowerPoint behind us to help you keep up with what I am saying and uh, uh, we pray that as you do that, you'll also look at your own copy of the Word of God and uh, open it up or turn it on, as the case may be. And uh, we certainly pray that the Lord will bless you and that you will hear more from Him through the Bible than you uh, ever hear from me or anyone else because God speaks through His Word and uh, exclusively through His Word. And so we turn to the Word of God, the Gospel of John, we're in the second chapter, and we're in verse 23. Now, when he was in Jerusalem at the Passover during the feast, many believed in his name when they saw the signs that he did. But, 
Jesus did not commit himself to them because he knew all men and had no need that anyone should testify of man, for he knew what was in man. Father, our prayer, would you help us to understand this and to apply it to our own lives? Because doubtless there are people here today who would say, I'm a believer in Christ, but they don't really know you, and you have not fulfilled your promise to them because they haven't repented of their sins and called on the name of the Lord in salvation. I pray that that would happen today and pray that we would understand this so that we can live to your glory and understand your heart and your mind more than ever before. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay. We looked last week and we saw the fact that Jesus is the most unique individual uh, ever. He is fully God, 100% God, not 50-50, 100% God, and 100% man. And when he stepped out of heaven to go into the womb of Mary the virgin, think of what he was doing going from the splendor of heaven. He did not have a body. He was all-knowing. He was ever-present and all-powerful. And he steps out of heaven, lays all of that aside to become an embryo in the womb of the virgin Mary. Can you even begin to fathom that? And so he didn't step out of heaven into Bethlehem's stable or anything like that. He stepped out of heaven into a virgin's womb in Nazareth when the angel Gabriel announced that to Mary. And he did that so that he could come to earth, live a life that we could never live, that was keeping all of the commands of God perfectly so that he could go to the cross and he could shed his blood to be the sacrifice for our sins. And that's why we don't trust in our church. We don't trust in our rituals. We don't trust in our own goodness. We don't trust in what we do. We don't trust in what we don't do. We, none of that has anything to do with it. We come trusting only in the death of the Lord Jesus Christ. And we believe and affirm that he rose from the dead on the third day and also that he is seated at the right hand of God the Father as the sovereign of the universe and that one day he is coming back. We don't know when that day is going to be, maybe very, very shortly, but he is going to return. And our message today is asking this question, are you ready? Because there are a lot of people who say they are ready that are not ready. There are a lot of people who say that they believe, but there's something lacking in all of that, and that's what is happening here. Jesus has gone after turning the water into wine and then being at Capernaum for a while. He goes to Jerusalem for the Feast of the Passover, and that's where he encountered that corrupt system in the temple where they were robbing people and shortchanging people, and he overturned the tables and drove them out because that was not the purpose of the house of God. But he is there for the feast of the Passover, and that's the setting for what we are reading today. So while he is there at the feast of the Passover, it says that many believed in him because they saw the stuff that he did, the signs, John says, that he performed. Now, we don't know what those signs are. It doesn't mention. That, that's not the important part of the story. But the key thing is, it says they believed in him, not because of who he was, 
but because of what he did. And there are a lot of people who just kind of look around and they say, oh, I saw something spooky. I saw something weird. I saw something I can't explain. Oh, it must be God. And that doesn't mean that they're saved. That doesn't mean that they really believe it just means that they are in awe of something, and it means that they have something they can't explain. But there's no heartfelt commitment to the Lord Jesus Christ on their part, and then did you notice this, or on his part. He did not entrust himself to them. We'll talk about that in just a few moments because that's really, really important. Many people will say, well, I've trusted Christ, but has he entrusted himself to you is the big question. Does he know you? Now, if we're answering the question, is Jesus God? And how does this passage point out some things that, that um, look to and explain and emphasize the fact that he was not just a mere human being, but God in human flesh, then uh, we might examine them like this. The first thing I noticed is... Uh, his timing is impeccable. Have you ever thought about that as you read the stories of Jesus? And we find Jesus here. He's at the feast of the Passover in Jerusalem, exactly where he is supposed to be at that particular time. But then again, that's the way he lived his life because he was in perfect control of his life never caught off guard never just merely a coincidence never something that was just happenstance never forced into anything never a victim of anything but in perfect control of all of these things always at the right place at the right time man i wish i could get that down wouldn't it be great to always be where you were supposed to be doing what you were supposed to do. Wouldn't it be great to have your timing down with the stock market, for example? Wouldn't it be great to always be at the right place at the right time when it came for a job interview or an opportunity or an open door or something? And uh, yet we find that's exactly what Jesus was doing. And think about this. Whether it's to meet a sinful woman at a Samaritan well, well, what's the big deal about that? Well, normally Jews did not go to Samaria. And secondly, uh, while it is true that in that culture the women did get the water from the well, but they never did it at that particular time of day. Usually it was much earlier. But this Samaritan woman, because she was an outcast from her village, she went when she wouldn't be bothered and she went at an abnormal time. And yet at that abnormal time in that abnormal place, Guess what happens? She runs into Jesus. Folks, that was no accident. That was a divine appointment. When we think about Jesus as he comes into Capernaum and uh, he just happens to run into, of all people, a Gentile, a Roman centurion who has a sick servant, and it was no accident that Jesus and the Roman centurion meet at that particular time and that particular place. In other words, in everything that Jesus did, Always at the right place, always at the right time. When they came looking for him in the garden, he was there because it was the will of God that he be betrayed and be arrested. He was not the victim of circumstances or mean people or injustice, even though he suffered from all of those things. 
That was the will, plan, and purpose of God that he be arrested, that he be tried, that he be sentenced to death, and that he be nailed to the cross because that's the only hope of salvation that we have. Jesus had impeccable timing always at the right place at the right time. In fact, uh, I thought about what Peter preached on the day of Pentecost and listened to these words very carefully. It says, Him, meaning Christ, being delivered by the determined purpose and foreknowledge of God, you have taken by lawless hands, have crucified and put to death, whom God raised up, having loosed the pains of death, because it was not possible that he should be held by it. And when the pains of death were holding him, that Greek word in the original language of the New Testament for held, it means to guard or seize as a prisoner. In other words, when all of the forces of hell were trying to keep Jesus from being raised from the dead, even that was not enough because the powers of darkness are not sovereign God is sovereign, and it was the plan of God to raise Jesus up. And in one verse it says, the Father raised up Jesus. In another place Jesus said, I take up my own life. And in another place it says that the Spirit raised Jesus from the dead. So the whole Trinity is involved in the resurrection. Perfect timing in everything about Jesus' life, even his birth. Now I don't know about you, but I didn't choose when and where and how to be born. I didn't choose what my heritage would be. I didn't choose my parents. I didn't say, Lord, I'd kind of like to be born in America if that uh, would please you. There was no choice in that at all. And yet with Jesus, everything was a choice and perfect timing. In Galatians 4, verses 4 and 5, it says, But when the fullness of time had come, that means the due date, God sent forth His Son born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those who were under the law that we might receive the adoption as sons. Everything planned, everything perfect, everything timed exactly as it needs to be. And no one's going to mess it up, no one's going to be out of place. Everything comes together just exactly like it's supposed to be. Now you can't do that with your life. I can't do that with my life, but Jesus could do that with his life because he was in perfect control because he is God, the blessed controller of all things. And everything he did was a setup. Everything he did was rigged. It was for a plan and a purpose, and it was all put together by the Lord, even the stuff that we would consider the bad things. Don't ever think that Jesus was just in the garden and then just happened to be arrested. Don't ever think that any of that stuff happened just by accident or coincidence. It all came together like gears working in a clock at perfect timing for Christ to do what he came here to do for us. His timing was impeccable, never, ever off. Consider everything in the life of Jesus and just be amazed that all of that happened the way that it did. Just the right time, just the right way, just the right place. Only God could do that, and he is God. Secondly, notice that his works, whether they're seen or unseen, are always 
purposeful. You know, sometimes we think that God only works when we feel something. We think that God is only working when we see something or when something spontaneous happens or something amazing happens. I wasn't even expecting that. Well, let me tell you something. God is at work every second of every day. This universe is held together by the Lord Jesus Christ, the book of Colossians says. The reason you have gravity and air to breathe, the reason your body works, the reason you're able to think, the reason you can uh, even consider anything and come to conclusions, the reason that you can reach out and help somebody else, all of that comes by the plan and the purpose and the working of God. In fact, the Bible says it's in Him that we live and breathe and have our being. It's in Him that we move. Every part of your life, the fact that you're born, the fact that you live, the fact that disease has not overtaken you and killed you, the fact that no one's murdered you, the fact that you are still functioning and mobile today, that is all by the plan and the purpose of God. And if you're lost here today, even the fact that you are here was not just simply your choice. It's a divine appointment for you to come and to hear the word of God. It's a wonderful thing that we think about in this world. The seasons don't change simply because of uh, where the earth is in its orbit around the sun or the tilt of the earth. It's God who created all of that. And the fact that we haven't been Colliding with other planets is not an, uh, just a, a random fact. It is by the predetermined plan of God. He indeed controls all of this. Everything he does has purpose. Everything he does has meaning. And when the Lord Jesus was on the earth, he didn't just happen to be walking along, see a blind man and go, oh, I think I'll uh, bless that guy today. We may do that. There are times when maybe you're in a, a drive-thru at a, a fast food restaurant and the thought hits you. I think I will pay for the meal of the people behind me. That's always a nice thing to do. Or maybe you're in a restaurant. I've done this on occasion and you see a, a police officer over here and you tell your waitress, whatever they buy, I want to pay for that. Uh, done that for people in uniform and sometimes just because maybe there's a young family and I remember what it was like to be a young family with young children and not have much money and to pay for their food it just kind of hits you but it's random there was no plan to do that there was nothing where I woke up that day and oh lord will you please at Cracker Barrel let me sit by a cop or something like that there was nothing like that it was something that we just responded to the situation but I want you to understand today, Jesus never did that. Everything in his life, everything he spoke, everything that he did, every miracle he performed, they were always with a purpose. In fact, John calls uh, what he did in this situation, he said they believed in the signs that he did. And we don't even know what they are. We have no idea what the particular sign or what the particular miracle is. And it doesn't matter that we know all we can say is it always has a purpose. God is doing things right now in answer to prayers you prayed and you don't even see it. And it doesn't mean that God all of a sudden becomes good and powerful and wonderful when you can see it. He's always at work and he's always good and his works are always perfect and wonderful. And he's doing things that we can't even understand. So during the feast many believed in his name when they saw 
the signs in which he did. At first glance, that sounds great. That's wonderful. Boy, Lord, you're off to a good start. You've got a good marketing campaign here, and this is really working. But uh, even though these things aren't mentioned, they are happening, and they're happening with a purpose because John calls them signs. Now, we have to kind of hit the pause button there. What is a sign? What is a sign? Well, one man uh, said that there are three words that John could have used for the term sign. He could have used the word teros, and uh, that wouldn't fully convey everything because that could be something you would say you, you see a, a magician, and all of a sudden they make a handkerchief disappear or a bird appear, and you go, oh, wow, how did they do that? That would be a, a teros. That could be, could be an illusion could be a trick it could be something that was just conjured up he could have used the word dunamis if that sounds familiar it's because uh, our word for dynamite comes from this word it's a greek word that simply means power and it could be that uh, john could have said you should have seen the power the force the absolute uh I guess the thrust of what Jesus did that just blew everything away. Okay? He could have used that word, but he didn't. Because dunamis is a display of extraordinary power or force. And that's why when Mr. Nobel invented TNT, that's why they called it dynamite. It was power. But he used the word samaya. And to John, he says, this was a miracle. And it was a miracle not simply... As an astonishing happening, it was not simply a deed of power. It was, as it says, a sign. That is to say, it told men something about the person who did it. It revealed something. So Jesus did not do empty works or say empty words. He was not a magician. He was not an entertainer, even though some thought he was. In fact... When uh, we find in Luke 23, verse 8, that even King Herod, it said, Now when Herod saw Jesus, he was exceedingly glad, for he had desired for a long time to see him. Now listen, here's why. Because he heard many things about him, and he hoped to see some miracle done by him. Herod was not a believer. Herod just wanted a show. Herod saw Jesus as like going to Branson or something like that. This will be cool. And uh, he'll come in here and I'll, I'm the king. I'll demand it. And he will create something or heal something or fix something or make something appear or make something disappear. See, it was nothing but a show. And this is all kind of giving us a clue as to what is happening. People were following Jesus because they liked the show that went on. They were awestruck by the things that he did, but they were missing the point. These were not merely for entertainment or to show his power. These were signs that came from God that every self-respecting Jew should have picked up on because they were prophesied hundreds of years before in the Old Testament, in the Hebrew Scriptures. And so this is more than just awe and amazement. These things have purpose. More than just incredible power, a sign. It revealed who Jesus was. 
his nature, his power. And more than that, it revealed his deity. No one could speak like him and no one could do the mighty things that he did. And he did them because he is God. And as we sang earlier, there is no one like him ever. Sometimes you'll find somebody might say, what is the opposite of Jesus? And somebody might say, the devil. Not true. Jesus has no opposite because there's nothing equal to him. To be opposite implies equality. And the devil is not equal to Jesus. He's not sovereign like Jesus. He does not have the power of Jesus. And the powers of darkness are not in control of everything until we make them do something different. That's blasphemous almost. God is the one who is in control and the devil only has power that is allotted to him by God. But even in that, he becomes, in many cases, an unwilling servant of God. Number three, we see the deity or the godness of Jesus in the fact that he has perfect and complete knowledge. Now, you may think you do and you may act like you do, but you don't. And we say about other people, I know why they did that. I can see through them. But you really can't. It's a guess. It's something that may be an accurate guess. It may be an educated guess. It it may be something that you might even be right about. But you don't know 100% what is in the heart of anybody or what is going on behind the scenes in politics. You don't know what the heart and the plan of God is. The Bible says in Deuteronomy 29, 29, the secret things belong to God. And some of those he does not reveal. But Jesus was not fooled by anybody. The Bible says that while they believed in him because of the signs. In other words, let's put it like this. They liked the show. And they liked the benefits of the show. We'll see in just a minute. But it says in verse 24, but Jesus did not commit himself to them. Well, wait a minute. I thought Jesus was standing there crying and waiting for somebody to open the door and he would go in anywhere where he was invited and couldn't go in anywhere where he wasn't invited. That's a wrong view of Jesus. He'll kick the door down if he wants to. He's the one who's in control. And he does not walk through just any old door at any old time. He did not entrust. And that's a word, by the way, the same word when we talk about commitment to Christ, faith in Christ. It's the same Greek word there. He did not commit himself. He did not put himself in that situation. Now that is strange because we're not used to hearing that. But Jesus did not commit himself to them because he knew all men. What could he possibly be saying there? I believe that what he is saying is Even though the words were right, listen carefully, the words were right, but the heart was not. The words might have been the right words, but the heart was unprepared. The heart was not tender toward God. There was no desire to glorify God, no desire to know Christ, no desire to be a disciple of Christ, a follower of Christ. They were going to live life the way they wanted to live it. They just wanted to be involved in the show. It was cool. It was awesome. It was exhilarating. Hey, we got a free meal out of it, whatever it might be. And that's why they were following Christ. And because Jesus knew that, he knows the hearts that may pray the prayer, as we say. They may say the right things. But uh, as it says in the book of Isaiah, these people honor me with their lips, but their heart 
is what? Far from me. Could that be you today? Could it be that you know the right things, you know the right words, you know the right doctrines, you know all of those kind of things, but that's all lip service, but your heart's not, not really in it. And let me tell you something. You may fool me. You may fool your wife. You may fool your husband. You may fool your friends. You may fool your church members. But you can never fool God. You can never fool Jesus. He knows exactly what's in your heart today. And that's why we need to be careful about following our heart. The Bible never says follow your heart. People do. The Bible says that the human heart, until it's redeemed, is deceitful. It's desperately wicked. And uh, that means it'll lie to you and it'll trick you. Don't follow your heart. It'll lead you astray. You know what you need to do? Psalm 139, you ask God to examine your heart and see if there's any wicked way in it. Right? Because he'll tell you the truth. And he'll deal with the truth. And this is what this is saying. They said one thing with their lips, but Jesus could read their minds. And Jesus could see what was in their heart, just like he can with you or with me. You can never fool God. You can never fool Jesus. In fact, this idea about Jesus entrusting himself to them... You know, there's a passage of Scripture I'd like for you to turn in your Bibles to Matthew 7. And it's a little lengthy because we're going to put it all together instead of isolating certain verses like we do. But notice the thrust of this passage. Matthew 7, uh, starting at verse 13. And Jesus says, you've heard these words before. But again, usually broken up into sections. Read it all. Enter by the narrow gate. For wide is the gate, and broad is the way that leads to destruction. And there are many who go in by it. Because narrow is the gate, and difficult is the way which leads to life, and there are few who find it. Beware of false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly they are ravenous wolves. You will know them by their fruits. Do men gather grapes from thorn bushes or figs from thistles? Even so, every good tree bears good fruit, but a bad tree bears bad fruit. A good tree cannot bear bad fruit, nor can a bad tree bear good fruit. Every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. Therefore, here's the point of that, by their fruits you will know them. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, shall enter the kingdom of heaven, but he who performs the will of my Father in heaven. Many will say to me in that day, Lord, Lord, have we not prophesied or preached in your name, cast out demons in your name, and done many wonders in your name? Now listen to this very carefully, the most chilling words in the Bible. And then I will declare to them, I never knew 
you. He did not entrust himself to them. Depart from me, you who practice lawlessness. So may I ask you a question today? Maybe you've walked an aisle. Maybe you prayed a prayer. Maybe you felt chills. Maybe you cried. Maybe you had somebody say, as I saw a preacher do one time, as he shook a lady's hand, Oh, I can tell you got saved. That's a Holy Ghost handshake. What in the world? You can't trust in those things. You have to trust in Christ alone. Not visions, not dreams, not prophecies, not the word of anyone else. You've got to have the assurance of Christ himself through his word. May I ask you a question? You may say, I know you, but would Christ say, and I know you? Or would he say, I don't know you, meaning I don't have intimate fellowship with you. Depart from me because you're a worker of iniquity or lawlessness. You don't do the will of God. You do your will. And you just go to church every once in a while to make yourself feel better. You don't really do the will of God and obey the scripture and have a heart that's hungry for God. You do what you want to do. And then you just sprinkle a little religious salt on the top of it. Just to kind of flavor it. Just to make it better. Just to look good. Just to soothe your conscience. You're going to stand before God one day. And like these Men who stood before him, they knew who he was. But he said, I never knew you. Those are frightening words to think about. And that's what the point of this passage in John is. Oh Lord, we love you. Oh, we believe you. Oh, you are so wonderful and awesome. But their heart wasn't in it because they had never repented of their sin and trusted in Christ as who he really was. He was just an addition to their life. He was not their life. He made life cool. He made life fun. He made life less hungry with the things that he did. And that's really all that they cared about, much like a lot of what you see on TV today. Let that sink in. That's a frightening thing to think about. And that's one of the things that we find out about Jesus. He knows. He's never fooled. And he knew that their faith was temporary, momentary, emotional, and even selfish. And they would follow him as long as he worked miracles. But whenever the show was over or whenever the show got a little boring, they were done and they would be out. John chapter 6 verse 2. And a large crowd was following him because they saw the signs that he was doing on the sick. Okay, well, I can understand that, but that's not saving faith, is it? John chapter 6, verse 26, it gets more pointed. Jesus answered them and said, Most assuredly, I say to you, you seek me not because you saw the signs, you didn't get it, in other words, but because you ate of the loaves and were filled. I'm just a meal ticket. I'm just the one who's supposed to show up and give you a sandwich. A Big Mac, something like that. A lot of people follow Jesus for that. Well, First John chapter 2, verse 19 is familiar to most of you. They went out from us, but they were not of us. For if they were of us, they would have continued with us. But they went out that they might be made manifest that none of them were of us. You know what he's saying there? They're not 
really saved. And their defection does not mean they lost their salvation. It was proof they never had it. Now think about that. Why did you get saved? Why do you follow Christ? Do you follow Christ? And is it just because you think there might be some benefit in it for you? Or is it because you were convinced that you were a sinner bound for hell and that Jesus deserves your glory and you don't give it to him until you are born again and that you become a worshiper of God? You become a follower of Christ. You pray to him. You love him. You seek him out. You read his word. You conform your life to his will. You do it all not for yourself but for for him. Oh, obviously you get benefits out of that, but that's not the main thing you're looking for. You make it about Jesus. 2 Timothy 2:19. Nevertheless, the solid foundation of God stands having this seal. You ready for this? The Lord knows those who are his. And let everyone who names the name of Christ depart from iniquity. Does that sound like you? then you may need to make your calling and election sure. What are you trusting in and why are you trusting in him? And you may say, I know who he is, but does he know you? There was, back in the day, a very famous and troubled country singer named Hank Williams. And he sang, you know, things like, you're cheating heart and I'm so lonesome I could cry and some of those things, there's a tear in my beer, that type of stuff. Lived a very ungodly life. Drank himself to death, basically. But he wrote a song. And everybody likes to think, Oh, this is when Hank Williams trusted Christ. I saw the light. I saw the light. People have sung that in churches. They've sung it at concerts. All of that type of thing. But I heard Minnie Pearl. Remember her? And she was with Hank Williams. And he was so troubled and drunk and she started singing that song to him. And he looked up and said to her, Minnie, there ain't no light for me. There just ain't no light. Now, am I supposed to believe that is the testimony of someone who has received the light of Christ in salvation? It's easy to sing the songs. It's easy to say the words. It's easy to live like that but have nothing to do with Christ, nothing to do with His Word, nothing to do with holiness, nothing to do with overcoming sin, the power of God not be present in your life at all. And yet people say, well, at least I know one thing. He's a Christian and he's going to heaven. If I've heard that once, I've heard it a million times when I'm talking to somebody at a funeral. No, they never went to church. What was their favorite scripture? Well, I don't know that they had a favorite scripture. Well, when were they born again? Well, I'm not real sure on all of that. But I do remember there was a time in VBS they prayed that prayer. So at least we know he's in heaven. Really? Is that the basis of your assurance? Something that you prayed? Something that you did because somebody coached you along? Or has your life been changed 
by the grace of God and you have entrusted yourself to Christ and what he did for you on the cross and have the assurance of the promises of his word that he will keep his word and he has saved you and your life has been transformed and now you are in pursuit of Christ. Obviously not perfectly because we have the verse that says if we confess our sin, he is faithful and just to cleanse us of our sin. And uh, we know that that's in there for believers. So it's not perfect. But when you sin, does it bother you? I heard John MacArthur say the other day that as you grow in the Lord, you will sin less and be bothered more. Why? Because you're growing closer to the Lord. You can't just live your life and ignore all of those kind of things. The conviction of the Holy Spirit is upon you because He has entrusted Himself to you and He indwells you by His Spirit. Is that your testimony? Is that the way it is? Well, that's what Jesus is speaking of here. He did not commit Himself to them because He knew what was in man. That brings us to our fourth and final point here. And we know that Jesus is God because his judgment is final and it is always right. Jesus never said, well, I didn't see that coming. Jesus never said, well, I thought more about him. Jesus knew Judas was going to betray him. He told his disciples, I have chosen you and one of you is a devil. You can't get more plain than that, can you? Jesus knows the hearts of every person, even Every person seated in here at Graceway Baptist Church on a Sunday morning. You look good to me. I love you. But Jesus knows what I could never know, what your friends never know, what your family never knows, what no one else never knows. And uh, think about this. People think about, oh, I just love Jesus because he never judges me. Really? I want you to uh, consider something. It says that he had no need that anyone should testify of man, for he knew what was in man. You know, references on a resume always kind of kill me. Whenever we hire a staff member, there was one time we got in 110 resumes. And you know what they always do? Here are my references. You know, for me... Looking at that, getting ready to hire somebody, I wasn't necessarily interested in the references they put down. I kind of wanted the references that weren't listed. Okay, you tell me about your best friend over here. I'd like to talk to your dad. I'd like to talk to your mom. I'd like to talk to your wife. I'd like to talk to your neighbor. I'd like to talk to your co-workers. That type of thing. And you know why I do that and why I check references and why I try to investigate on those? Because I don't really know what's in their heart. Get it? Jesus doesn't need references on a resume. He doesn't need character witnesses. You ever been a character witness in a court of law? They call you in to testify for the defendant, for the accused, and you're to say, oh, I, I know them. They would never do this. They're good people. Jesus doesn't need that. He doesn't need anyone to testify of man. He doesn't need a letter of reference because he already knows what is in the heart of man. See what that statement is saying? This is God we are talking about. God in human flesh. And when you think about Jesus and what most people think about today, 
you know, the Bible says here that he had no need because God doesn't need anything. In Acts chapter 17, it says, The God who made the world and everything in it, being Lord of heaven and earth, does not live in temples made by man, nor is he served by human hands as though he needed anything, since he himself gives to all mankind life and breath and everything. In fact, our God has need of nothing. It's amazing that he allows us to serve him, allows us to praise him, allows us to conform our life to his and to his word. Amazing that he would bless us. Amazing that he would answer any prayer at all. But it's not because he's sitting in heaven going, Oh, I'm so lonely. If only that person would get saved. No, he needs nothing, it says there. In John chapter 5, verse 26. For just as the Father has life in himself, that would be God, even so he gave to the Son also to have life in himself. So nobody created Jesus. Jesus doesn't need the normal life things to keep on going. He has life in himself. And so it says that he didn't need anyone to testify of man. Christ doesn't need input from witnesses or any other people. He is an all-knowing God. Think about Job 21, 22. Can anyone teach God knowledge in that he judges those on high, why God knows everything. God understands everything, and nothing fools Him. And there's no, there's never any new evidence that comes in. Hebrews four thirteen, and no creature is hidden from His sight, but all are naked and exposed in the eyes of Him to whom we must give an account. Did you hear that? You can't fool God. John chapter 5, verse 22. For the Father judges no one. Now this will blow your mind, some of you. But has committed all judgment to the Son. I'm sorry, but Jesus is judgmental. And Jesus always judges righteously. He is never fooled. He is never hoodwinked. Nothing like that ever happens because he knows exactly who you are and exactly where you stand with him today. And you know what? If you knew me, you wouldn't want anything else to do with me. You'd be done with me. And yet the God who knows me inside and out gives me this word. Come. Come. Trust me. I'll cleanse you. I'll fellowship with you. I'll make you a new creature in Christ. I will give you the righteousness of Christ and take all of your sin away and put it on the cross where it will be paid for in full. Can you imagine? The God who knows every wicked thought you've ever had, knows every wicked motive that you have ever had, who knows you inside and out and all of your hypocrisies is the same God that says, whoever calls upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. The Bible says, if you will confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus, that means surrender to Him as your King, 
and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you're trusting in the death, burial, and resurrection of Christ as the full and only payment of your sin, here's the promise, and thou shalt be saved. And that's the good news. And that's why we got to quit playing a game, quit trusting in our rituals or our goodness or our church attendance or what other people say or what other people think because you can fool the people, but you can't fool God. Have you trusted Him completely as your Savior and Lord? Trusted Him and Him only as the full payment for your sin. See? And He says, those who come to me, I will in no wise cast out. And my big question is, how, is not how could this be? My big question is, why would He even bother why would he even want me when he knows everything about me? And yet the same gospel would be true for these people that we just read about as it is for you and me. For anyone who will come to the Lord and say, I am a sinner and I cannot save myself. You're the only hope that I have and I'm putting my full trust in your sacrifice and I surrender to you as my master, my Lord and my King. And he says, welcome into the family of God. Enter into the joy of the Lord. What an amazing, that's why we call it amazing grace, because we don't deserve it. I don't, you don't, none of us do. And yet he gives it so freely. Why? Because he's more than just a man. He is the God man who came to earth to save sinners like you, like me, like us. And praise God. He does it because he paid it all in full. And we are accepted by the Father because of what Christ has done. Is that your experience? Is that your testimony? Is that what you're trusting in? If it's not, do it today. Do it now. Talk to somebody seated around you. And if they don't know how to answer or they're uncomfortable, they'll get you with someone who can and we can help. And we pray that you would Come to know the Lord and to be saved in the way that uh, the Bible describes it. Will you do that? I pray that you will. Can we pray together? Lord Jesus, we come to you because we know that you are the one who loves us. You gave your life for the sheep. You're the one who is the ultimate sacrifice. You're the only sacrifice that is acceptable to God. You're the only one that can give us new life. You're the only one that gives us a new start and can make us a new creature. You're the only one who can make us acceptable so that we go to heaven when we die. You're the only one that can make us fit to have the Holy Spirit, God himself, to come live within us. And yet so many people are just settling for a ritual, just an occasional thing, just a casual knowledge, and they follow you as long as you are doing things for them, but the first time you don't, they're gone. Oh, Father, redeem us from that. And we pray this for your glory in Jesus' name. And all God's people said, Amen. Amen. Thank you.